Hello, my friends. It's me, your very best friend in the whole wide internet business cat. Welcome back to the Rock Paper Bitcoin podcast. We missed you. We had a fun talk this time. This episode was recorded on the 21st of, of October, which uh, that's a Satoshi Saturday, if you didn't know. And that is, uh, if, you, if you have an iPhone, you look at your little calendar app, it says Sat 21. That's a Satoshi Saturday. The next one's going to be, I believe, September 21st of 2024. So mark your calendars. It's a new event, and it's only for Bitcoiners. In this episode, we talk about Satoshi Saturday. We talk about Broken Money by Lynn Alden. Uh, we give some disclaimers about a Zoom link we gave out. And uh, we talk about indexing the species and how the, the returns you can get by casting a net that broad. If you like our content and would like to support the show, listen using any podcasting 2.0 app and stream us stats while you listen. If you have a comment, you can uh, send us a boostergram along with that comment. We, lo- we love hearing from you, so, so reach out. If you're a Bitcoin miner and you're feeling particularly generous, you can slice off just a little bit of that hash power and send it our way using any Lincoin stratum address. I'll put the connection details in the show notes. Finally, dear listener, thank you so much for listening. It means a lot to us. We'd, we'd be nothing without you. I mean, we're shouting into the vacuum, into the void. We're here for you, and we love you. Let's get into it. back again back again man it's it feels these two week periods feel like an eternity i know but, right uh, i'm realizing how many times have we started this podcast with oh good morning back again it's like oh that's now i just basically it's become text, a thing i just text you endlessly now instead of just talking to you here <laughs> but um we did get lucky here though because um you know we it is a very happy happy Satoshi Saturday. Satoshi Saturday. So it's you. You want to enlighten our dear viewers now on what I Satoshi can't take Saturday all, is? all the credit for it. I was on Twitter this morning, and somebody had pointed out and that they had noticed that their little calendar app showed Sat twenty one, and I was like, oh yeah, right. It's today, it's today is the twenty first, and it's Saturday. It's like how frequently does that happen? And so we were chatting about it in our Telegram yep. chat, and Lonely Pumpkins pointed out, okay, he did the math. I was like, all right, so once every seven months, it cha- the day changes one. So, or, but next year's a leap year, so it's eight months. But yeah, so, so I think this I, is something that we as a, as a uh, community could incorporate. This is a day that happens with semi-frequency, but it's a way that we can also like, inject ourselves into popular culture. It's the Toshi Saturday. Yes, the math is a little incomplete. Shout out Lonely Pumpkins for doing that math but i'm going to just top it off here and Do say it. roughly 28 between 28,000 and 30,000 blocks you you are absolutely correct <laughs> all right depending so, on whether there's a leap year <laughs> so we're probably by the time within the next two satoshi saturdays we're going to have the next habit having then yeah oh yeah yeah all right this I is was, a new this is a new way we can measure time and so check this out, dude. I just I decided to go back and check out when the last Satoshi Saturday was, and it was January twenty first. And um, you know, it was before we started this podcast. 
I was like, I wonder if that was the day we decided to start texting each other about it, and it was not. We started talking about it in February. January so somehow, 21st. somehow, like the, um, you know, the stars started to align on last Satoshi Saturday, I think. So I'm just looking at my calendar now. What was I doing on January 21st of this year? I was out, well, out in your direction at uh, getting our Tesla service. We had we had some body work done on our Tesla when somebody smacked into it. So that's Ooh. what I was doing. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so well, I, you know, I, like I would this. say in, in um, most people don't know this, but like in Judaism, you know, there are. Most people know that everybody doesn't eat on like this one day, then they don't go to work, like called Yom Kippur. But there's actually 10 other fasting days. And I'm not proposing we do a fast or anything like that. I'm just saying that it's a special, it's one of the special, maybe lesser known Bitcoin holidays when we get a Satoshi Saturday. And I think I said earlier that it's kind of like Friday the 13th, but for fiat come lords. I kind of like the yeah. idea of doing something like incorporating a fast into it, though. That makes it more... It's It doesn't happen super frequently. It's long enough that, I mean, I, about every seven months is what somebody should be doing when they should be at least having some kind of fast. Like Judaism, every individual community, an individual person just deci- can just decide how <laughs> how to right. celebrate their holiday. Right. Yeah, that's... Yeah. How, however you want to individually mark it. I like that. I might have to start doing that. We just, my, my wife and I just recently had a fast, so. Nice. I definitely would say we should do a rip. Her more than me, but. We should do a rip on Satoshi Saturdays, regardless of, I mean, ho- hopefully we'll be back on a weekly cadence in, in eight months. We're just going to have to guarantee that going for. I mean, yeah, every Saturday, every Satoshi Saturday going forward has to be at least a recording day, if not like a meet, some sort of meetup event. Absolutely, right? Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Absolutely. So good stuff there. Thanks for uh, thanks for bringing that to our group. It's been a productive morning. So yeah, I've I've been up since three a.m. My daughter woke up oh. at three a.m. this morning and just didn't go back to sleep until around six. So yeah, it's been uh, I've I've been up and my brain uh, has been online doing CPU cycles for a while. Mm. By this point, I finished uh, I finished the book Broken Money this morning. I just listened to a podcast. Lynn Alden was just on Macro Voices this week, and it was talking about her book, and it was really good. Tell me about it. So, you know, I do, I like I really kind of I don't ever get to talk. Not that I don't ever get to. I just don't really talk about books a lot on this podcast. Um, and I do feel like I read these books, and then they, and then I go on to the next one, and I never, you never really discuss. The books or anything, but I just got done with two that I think are like all time lifers. And this broken money, I just, I guess, um, some people have already heard me talking about this. After the first, there's six parts. In the first part, I was asking myself, how is this book different from like the Bitcoin standard or books like that? And having said that, I, I want everyone here, dear listener, to know this book. Broken Money by Lynn Alden is a masterpiece. Hmm. Um, I believe that this book will reach far more people than the Bitcoin standard. You guys know how I feel about my safe books. And this book is part of the Safe House collection. So, like, you can buy them all at Safedine's website. However, it feels. It feels like well, this broken yeah. money could be the Bitcoin standard is very overt and on the nose about what it's about. Broken money seems a bit could be have a larger audience appeal just by the name. 
Well, let me make a, a couple distinctions. For one, you guys all know how Safe likes to communicate his stuff, right? Directly. Very directly and very intentionally biased. This book is like a 498-page police report for the most part. And the benefit it has is five years. So it's kind of like the first part is similar to Bitcoin Standard, and then you have, the, you know, you cover really what happened since then, block size wars, uh, lightning. Um, it's now slipping my mind, but there's just, you know, a, oh, you, you have money printing and COVID. You have basically a lot of other things in this book. Oh, you have, you know, you have shit coins, you're right? Uh, I mean, not, is there the a Bitcoin discussion standard on... Coverage. Uh... The Bitcoin standard covered shitcoins a little bit because it was very early, but now this is the end of the cycle for the most part. And proof of work versus proof of stake. Why does Bitcoin use energy the way it does? Uh, oh. So it is like taking a lot of concepts and bring and whereas almost like the what the Bitcoin standard covered is like one leg of a stool that now has maybe five or six legs as to why really maybe you know, you should have conviction about Bitcoin. Um, that's, so I would really recommend this book <laughs> and not only, I know a lot of people like to listen to books and I think a lot of this book is listenable, but there's a portion of this book and it's chapter 15. So maybe write that down where you're going to have to sit down and just read that chapter because that chapter works out examples with balance sheets of, um, examples of money printing. Or, or sorry, examples of money creation and how whether or not they originate in the Treasury, whether or not they originate at the Fed, or whether or not they originate in the commercial banking system. Really, she works out what leverage does that add to the system? How quickly does that money end up in the hands of consumers? I.e., that's really when you would call it money printing, right? So like whether it's helicopter checks or whether it's just banks providing each other liquidity and she goes through these really detailed examples um this is you know i was going through this really feeling like this was an academic um this could be done in college classes where you would, would be you know sort of tested on knowing this and i i plan to go back and review it you know just going through it once probably doesn't stick and you guys can hear I'm not giving the clearest explanation as to what it, what she really did. I think you got to go back and review it. But these are very clear examples and it's the only thing I've ever seen that attempts to really attempts to do this. I think if people want a really good uh, introduction or a top level review of it from I mean the person herself. Yeah, so she was just on the Macro Voices podcast this week. And I, are you familiar with the Macro Voices guys at all? Are you, is this like Preston Pish and then these value no. investors? No. Um, okay, so no. No. Macro, no, so, no. So Macro Voices is what they are very much on the legacy. It's what, what's his, It's Eric Townsend and Patrick Ceresna. So two... Um, no two idea. Head, they're, they're, like, they're legacy <laughs> hedge fund guys. And Pat, uh, Patrick Townsend, the, the host, he... I have his book. He wrote a book on Bitcoin and blockchain like years ago. And he... Mm-hmm. But, and he's very, he doesn't get it. He, he sees Bitcoin as a way to get more dollars. He doesn't understand the significance of Bitcoin. He thinks he does. He wrote a book on it explaining how he gets the significance of Bitcoin, but he doesn't get it. But so he, Lynn was just on this week, and he, it, was, it was a really interesting back and forth of him tr- like 
he cl- he still doesn't get it because he's a, he's an energy market guy. Um, but he's it's interesting watching. He's starting. He's on a path. Like it's it's inevitable. He's gonna ha- get it eventually. It's what price? He's probably gonna w- be the one like the kind of person who's buying our or buying up Bitcoin at seven hundred eight hundred thousand uh, dollars. But yeah. yeah. Hey, can but, I hit? Can I can I build on that for a second? Yeah. So I've been having this thought articulating, and you know that we've maybe talked about. Oh, do people buy Bitcoin at the price they deserve? I've had a I've I've had a thought developing that that's a little bit of a twist on this, which is that people sell at the price they deserve. And the, like, I think I heard Luke Broyles say this, and now I'm just running with this. This I'm stealing this open source idea that the most tragic story we will be discussing is not about people who didn't buy Bitcoin in time, but people who sold it, who had it, didn't figure out they had, and made their little genius move at a 5x and you know sold it at 100k or whatever it was um i've been on this tear of telling this story and that's because i feel like when i go like i had my meetup my local meetup um a couple days ago and it's just like i feel like so many people are on the edge of making that mistake and i feel like that is like when we talk to people who own bitcoin i feel like that's the story the the story to tell right because it's just it's it, that that is going to be the most tragic thing. Or people we know are gonna we're gonna be like, "Hey, are you good?" And they're like, "No, I'm not good." <laughs> so I'm, I'm a fucking moron. I I really fucked up. Well, I mean, I can speak to that pain. I look at my I have spreadsheets that go back quite a ways, and I look at my total maximum at one point is my stack height was greater than it is now. It's like so these fiat people are like they're almost like trying to uh, you know just create. Like they're they're literally creating nothing, right? They're creating people who buy Bitcoin and then sell it too early. I mean, that's essentially what fiat people do. That's what shitcoiners mm. who like Bitcoin are doing. Um, and it's like I have no patience, and for the I have no time really for like that conversation. And I was I, I definitely got into it with somebody over this week about and it, you know this was somebody who actually gave me a pretty good challenge on my. BlackRock narrative, which we'll get into in a second. Um, I was test driving it on the Thursday Zoom, and I get, I get, you know, I've talked about the Thursday Zoom here, guys. I got to give a disclaimer because <laughs> that's there is a possibility. You just guys have to know that there's a possibility, especially if I'm not there and if Paul's not there, or if, you know, there's definitely a strong possibility there'll be some shitcoin talk on that Zoom. I didn't realize, so I gotta warn you guys. I gotta give fair. I gotta give some fair warning. Okay, mm. it could happen. <laughs> like the the you know the theme of that group and the discussion is like Bitcoin only, and the people who do bring it up do so at a personal cost. But it does come up. <laughs> and it well, does, I mean, even yeah. in our even in our Telegram chat, I mean, like I try to. I, I am in the Telegram chat as the policeman, but I mean, occasionally there have been people who have joined and then like spammed some shitcoin shit and it's been up for a little for a brief amount of time before i deleted it so yeah i mean people have to be on on guard at all times just because it's a zoom call that has one level it's about bitcoin yeah i mean there's scammers everywhere it's not about scammers scammers that show up to our uh, event these these aren't scammers just to be clear these are just these are these are decent people who Mm. who aren't ready to learn the lesson that uh, getting paid out in fiat dollars is not getting is bullshit. 
it's difficult to go down that that uh, like tree of uh, a decision tree of like okay, well, why is somebody into shit coins? They they either know better or they don't. And if they do know better, that says a lot about their ethics. Like they like Bitcoin, but they still think they're looking for a five bagger in their investment portfolio. Yeah. And, you know, anytime they run into somebody like me, it becomes explosive. It becomes it becomes an argument. And, you know, I had fun with it. And, you know, it's a good group of guys, right? Mm. But um, I just need it. Like, you know, I've, I, a couple of guys came on and um, started texting me like, dude, this is a shitcoin group. And I was like, no, it's not a shitcoin group. I'm sorry, guys. I didn't realize. So I only say this because, like, look, uh, I am, you know, this is our podcast. And I do, you know, care about my reputation as yeah. a not, not a shitcoiner. And um, shout, I'm going to shout out Lonely Pumpkins because when we were in Miami, I think I might have told this story. We, um, we were in Miami for a Bitcoin, Bitcoin conference. That's where I met him. Um, we were walking around the first day and we had accumulated arms full of swag and books and needed a tote bag. And we, like, I saw some, saw some booth offering a tote bag, offering tote bags for free. And by the way, this is all a total joke, but it, this conversation did happen. I was joking, but I said, nah, I can't, I don't know this company. And for all I know, there's some shit coiner and I'll be photographed with a tote bag. Now he smartly just like I'll just turn it inside out and you know didn't show it, but I was uh, you know I was just kind of sticking with the um, you know with the brand right and saying no fuck that I'm going to resist even using their tote bag and it turned out to be Layer Two Labs, and which is now like the company that's been pushing drive chains and all that stuff and so it's I don't know kind of still having a laugh over um, feel like I made a good decision there not to take their tote bag. I. Um, <laughs> it's always good to be aware of yeah the image so, that somebody could snap of you. So I'm going from that to like directly recommending a room of people to you know communicate Bitcoin signal that does that does degenerate into shitcoin talk, and I just want people to know that I'm aware of that. And well, some level you know, of shitcoin talk is also acceptable. I mean, I I make it very explicitly clear in our meetup group and in our Telegram chat about this is a Bitcoin. This is a Bitcoin-focused group and chat. But inevitably, talk about shitcoins comes up because, I mean, it's just part of the ecosystem. I mean, as shitcoins get, like, for, for whatever reason, like, they're getting dumped on or something significant happens or yeah, whatever. Like, it's inevitably the conversation has to happen. It's not... What I what yeah. I is unacceptable is shilling shitcoins to people that don't know any better. Like, yeah, people out there are going to use shitcoins to make more Bitcoin. But on average, the number of people that are successful at doing that are are not going to be the people that are joining these our, our Telegram chat and like looking like, what is this thing? Hey, can you guys recommend the next big thing? It's like, no, dude, you don't know. Just by asking that question, you're revealing that, okay, you just need to stack sats. You are not intelligent enough on the subject to be go gamble in the altcoin casino. You just should be stacking sats right now. So yeah. I also view it. I, I view a shitcoin talk as a denial of service attack on Bitcoin True. conversation. Yeah. So I, and I, you know, I really. This is why I really want just. I want people to understand that I understand. I I get this, and um, it is what it is. And um, you know, I still I still like those guys, and I'm attending the Thursday zooms. And if you guys want to hop on, I'll be there. You know, 
DM me, let me know, let me know you'll be there, or, you know, make sure I'm there. It's good um, to have this big asterisk on that link. Okay, right. Uh, There's only one shitcoin, frankly, that does matter. The dollar? No. Fuck the dollar. Fuck. Nope. What? It is the fucking, I think, the the shitcoin called the BlackRock ETF, spot ETF, is actually something that crosses over into having meaning in the world okay right i and i do it's believe it's be meaningful. Big. um it's and you know we've answered this we've answered the question here why why will the world not change a fucking thing if ethereum gets an etf right why we, and you know why does that not matter why does this matter right we've talked about this we started like started in episode two before this thing even existed, and then we, then when this thing came up, we were like, "Oh my God, the dots are starting to connect here." Right now, this week, it's not me telling the story. Actually, it's not me projecting what I think BlackRock is doing. We have like Larry Fink himself gaslighting, I think, the fiat world into exactly what. We have been saying his motivation is. So <laughs> should we get into that? Yeah, absolutely we should. That, okay. that clip of him explaining why he says crypto and not Bitcoin was very revealing. Yeah, so I said that Larry Fink, first of all, Larry Fink uses the word crypto the way we use the word highly regarded. Okay. He knows he's saying Bitcoin and he can't for whatever, you know. And he, he knows explains that, exactly why he can't use the word Bitcoin. He, he knows a, that when talking to people that are in the know, that yeah, the word crypto is not a, not a plus, not a thumbs up. Yeah. So, let's go back. What what have we been saying? And then what did Larry Fink say to absolutely validate this? Right. So we have been saying that BlackRock is maybe not a single voter NGU. Let's try to accumulate Bitcoin as cheaply as possible and then ruin it for everybody, right? Right? I mean, this is essentially, I think, you know, I really, I think this is what the world thinks, right? And this, again, started in our episode two. And if you don't understand the world they're managing, then all you'll do is see what they're buying. Mm-hmm. And then you'll mm-hmm. assume that what their motivations are, right? Um, and I've been saying for... A year, I guess, really, is that, no, there's a system, okay? There's a system right now that revolves around bonds. Um, That system sucks, okay, for a lot of reasons. Bonds have risks that suck, that can't be managed, counterparty risks. And it's a case of the emperor wears no clothes. Everybody knows it sucks, but nobody has any other options. And not only do bonds suck as an investment, right? Mainly now because the counter... the debasement risk has now far exceeded its ability to be reflected in the price forever, right? So it's like, and, and I'm, I'm fairly certain BlackRock understands this completely. Like every time they buy a bond, I think they throw up in their mouth knowing that they're never going to beat inflation and the bond's going to be a loser, right? But they have to, okay? So I'm pretty sure that's the case, okay? What I didn't realize, what we never realized necessarily what we were just kind of uh speculating on was that not only 
not only does the disdain for bonds and the need to the, really the need to fix this base layer in their system that they manage okay right and i can, can get into why that's such a fucking problem right um but the other half of this is that actually seeing bitcoin as a solution right that bitcoin can can be the way out of bonds for them and that they actually understand bitcoin enough to know that it's at least as low risk as bonds are perceived to be right i would suspect that during the last drawdown larry fink saw the numbers on long-term hodlers and that like 80 percent of people didn't sell like long-term holders mm-hmm. didn't move nothing moved during an 80 percent drawdown like i'm gonna guess that that was what other asset performs like that? What, what other asset has people with that level of conviction in it? Like, yeah, that Nothing. hasn't been anybody in that world. I mean, it's, they're looking for a concrete foundation to build their empire on. And the they, hot like, wave, yeah, the hot yeah. wave charts are very clear, right? So we have been speculating. We've been speculating again, just to recap for our dear listeners, right? We've been speculating that BlackRock a hates bonds, wants off, right? Of course, they could never say that because they would destroy hundreds of trillions of dollars of wealth. Like, well, I mean, it's it's like that right? scene you from from that. Margin Call. It's like it's you, you can't. There has to be the first mover, but nobody. It's, it's the everybody's pointing guns at each other, but nobody right. knows who's going to pull the trigger first. So they can't say it. And so that's part one: is they believe this that we're never going to find evidence of that because they can't say it. Right. But part two is that they understand Bitcoin enough. To see Bitcoin as a better substitute for bonds in the system, which would have for the world, which have, would have worldwide ramifications. So we've been speculating that. Okay, now on Monday, Monday was a very interesting day. What happened? Well, first, some bullshit, um, some bullshit news outlet <laughs> called Coin Telegraph just actually prints something on Twitter that says the Black <laughs> that the ETF was approved, right? Yeah, a bunch they, of a, they copy something yeah. from a Telegram group that they did, they did no research into or no vetting. They just copied and pasted something from but, a Telegram group. And then a bunch of incompetent news outlets run with it. It gets posted onto Bloomberg. I mean, it becomes somehow like legitimized as a story, and Bitcoin, the price, pumps. Okay, It's interesting now, this how is, fast it became a legitimate story. Like, eyes are on the space. Yes. I mean, my, my takeaway—I missed it, by the way. I was working. I, was, I had a massively busy work week and I missed the whole thing. But my takeaway immediately was like, dude, oh my God, this market is so fucked. Like this market is not ready for prime time. Are you kidding me, dude? We still have, I, I, like this type of information is moving, is pumping prices and all that. I mean, so I that was a concern of mine. And then I read the, th- the tweets, I guess, that t- caught my eye were the ones that said, oh, this actually will threaten the approval of the ETF may- maybe because it just shows how, yeah, how fucked this market really is, and how manipulatable it is, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so who decides to come on TV Monday night, right, the day this happened? And you know, Bitcoin actually recovered after it came down. You know, it recovered again, right? And Larry Fink gets on TV and says some astonishing, astonishing things. Yeah. Meanwhile, okay. how many shorts were wiped out in this little like two-hour period? Like like ninety million dollars of shorts were destroyed. Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah. So yeah, you all the fucking idiots just doing their idiotic things. But you know, above the fray, okay. You have Larry Fink, the CEO of BlackRock, 
comes on TV and says something absolutely astonishing. Okay, what is it? In the con, just the context of the what we just said in the last five minutes, our what we were speculating on. He said, "I'm going to say almost these exact words." He said, "Bitcoin is pumping not because of a fake story, okay, but because." And he didn't say Bitcoin. Sorry, he said crypto. He, says, he right? said crypto, yeah, because he has to say crypto. And he mm-hmm. means Bitcoin. So he says crypto is not pumping because of a fake story. By the way, only one thing pumped over a fake story, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? So what? So then he said. Why is it pumping? He said the reason it's pumping is because we are at war and that flight to safety assets will pump when we're at war. And Bitcoin, like gold, he said, like the treasury, he said, is a flight to safety asset. Right there, he gets it, yeah. Well, I don't know if he gets it, okay? So we got, this is like, we can parse this thing out, right? We can parse this thing out, but what he is clearly... He is clearly, at the very least, gaslighting everyone in fiat. What into, did he previously into, call, call Bitcoin? Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Right? He, well, so he previously called Bitcoin an index of money laundering, okay? Right, yeah. But what he's doing now on, by saying this is he, wa- I mean, he clearly wants people to think that Bitcoin is a flight safety asset, right? So he either, he either fully understands it for himself or he understands enough that it, the goal he is after, right, which is, I think, replace bonds with Bitcoin in their portfolios, ultimately, right, and manage a Bitcoin slash ETF system over a bond system that has no hedges, right, is something that he, you know, so he wants to he's ready to start positioning Bitcoin as a flight to safety asset. Now, we all on this podcast, I think everyone listening, right, believes completely that Bitcoin is every bit of flight to safety asset. It's maybe the only safety asset. The only safety asset, yeah. That's really, in my opinion, it is. You know, in my opinion, it's the only real, you know, when I think of a flight to safety, I think of my own personal flight to safety if I have to run and take all my wealth with me, right? Like that's the ultimate flight to safety I might be on. It's not like, oh, I'm so worried about equities, right? <laughs> it's like I've got money and it has to go somewhere actually in physical realm or and so I can use the properties of Bitcoin to store that wealth in my head and then escape danger, right? Flight to safety. But the way the world views it is I got cash because there's been a lot of money printed, uh, and that's not going to stop. And I got a lot of cash that needs to go somewhere. And I used to think bonds were a good place for it. And, you know, I used to, you know, look, it's like, let's just for a second, right? You know, it's interesting. I was thinking about it this morning. Um, you and I are both really risk managers. I only call myself a risk manager, but you're a risk manager as well. You call, you might call it a threat matrix or a threat assessor. You're a, th- a threat assessor, right? Um, but My head's on a swivel. It's the same way of thinking, and let's just it's just look at the bond space. Look at bonds and Bitcoin in terms of risk. Bonds have counterparty risk. Bitcoin doesn't. Mm. Okay. Bonds have monetary policy risk. Bitcoin doesn't. Uh, bonds have operational risk of and liquidity risk of markets only being open 168 hours a week, or something like that. Sorry that. 
sorry, there's 168 hours in a week. Like bonds are, you know, they're only open nine to five. Bitcoin is open for trading 24 seven, 365. Okay. And then, but the big one, here's the thing that, let me tell you something. This last one, this is the rock, paper, Bitcoin special. This is the thing that I swear is only going to be discussed here for a long time (laughs) and will not be seen in the world. And that is that uh, bonds have disintermediation risk. Okay. And this is the real problem. This is what ha- this is why the bailout had to happen last year. Okay, what happens is when you are a let's say an institutional bondholder and like an insurance an insurer, right? So you sell like an annuity or you sell a, you sell products and you credit a rate, not unlike the way a bank credits a rate on a money market or a CD, right? You credit a competitive rate and then you buy bonds you earn you theoretically earn a spread and that's how you that's how insurance companies make their money and that's they in, insurance companies in the US alone buy trillions of you know, trillions of dollars of bonds right it's just massive majority of who buys them so what happens in this world is you issue you sell a product a fin- you sell a financial product based on a certain prevailing rate okay you buy bonds to cover that product you earn the spread, right? You, and then you just deliver, you know, you deliver the returns to your policyholder, debased or not, whatever, right? What happens in the world now when rates go up, this is where this thing called disintermediation risk happens. When rates go up, you have a uncompetitive product now, right? Mm-hmm. And your policyholders do the equivalent of a bank run, which is they basically all lapse, they all lapse these products, right? Leaving you with uh, bonds that have devalued and you yeah, have less to sell. capital to do more with you have to sell so a it's bad because you have to sell all the, you now have to sell those bonds at a loss or you have to f- sell other bonds at a you have to find a way to raise to, the capital right you don't want to mark them to market and you're being forced to so the this is a look this is a known problem of bond markets that nobody's focused on for the last 40 years because it didn't happen Right, but when I like when I took my actuarial exams back in the '90s, the history of bond of rates going up was recent enough that I had to study. I had to study that risk at least. Okay, so like in the '90s, there were all these strategies that were from the '70s, right? '70s and '80s of having to manage disintermediation, right? But the reality is the bond, the system where you buy bonds and have to manage that risk sucks compared to um buying bitcoin or bitcoin or bitcoin exposure bitcoin that has a perfect hedge called the bitcoin etf right you gotta understand now there will like there will not be disintermediation right so what happened in the uk we talked about it last week was just was an example of disintermediation because the rates went up and the they were threatened with liquidation Right, because their the value of their collateral went down so much that it had to be, you had to now sell a bunch of assets to cover it. It's essentially the same mechanic. Okay. The system, So if you are the biggest institutional manager in the world, right, and you have a you know a forty year history of not having to face disintermediation risk, but you still know it exists, and you you are managing a system with your clients of bonds plus all of the 
horrible ways to manage, you know, that don't cover all that risk. And you can move into a future of instead using Bitcoin with the ETF, right? I mean, it's a no-brainer. It's a no-brainer in terms of the risk of that system decreases so much. Um, and it makes you realize that if Bitcoin had existed when this started, bonds would never well, have been, ne I, never been a yeah, part of it. To be fair for them, I mean, they never had an asset. The, the discovery of digital scarcity didn't happen until 2010. So they had to build this terrible house of cards system built on government bonds because that's all they had. But I mean, yeah, now yeah. we have something better. And the and question the, is, yeah, who's going who's gonna to get there first to replace that system with the next one? And BlackRock being the largest player in that previous system, like, yeah, they're, Larry Fink's smart. Like, th they didn't get where they are by not paying attention to the game board. And how the hell is the number one player going to get off of that old game board and onto the new one? It's like, oh, they're going to have to be the first mover to, to even so, survive. Yeah. So let's just again recap it real quick. Like Larry, so having said all of that, right? Larry Fink is now on TV, telling people that Bitcoin is a flight, a flight to, safety. to safety. Do you asset. think he's orange pilled fully, or do you think he's repeating what his what the people behind him are telling him to say? So I'm gonna be I'm gonna be my autistic self and answer this question <laughs> very exactly. I believe that as the CEO of that institution, he fully understands that it's existential for them that the world sees it this way. Yeah, yeah, it is. Of course I, it is. I don't know if he gives a flying fuck what Bitcoin really is, but I think he has to understand that there's no counterparty risk. He ha clearly understands that it's a superior asset to bonds in managing large institutional portfolios. Okay, I, he has to understand that. So that doesn't necessarily mean he's orange pilled, right? Yeah. But I think he clearly so. And in order to understand that there's no counterparty risk, he understands that it's stateless. Right. I try to like like a thousand yard view of like the orange pilling process and like try to like chart like where people are on it. And somewhere somewhere in the orange pilling process is coming to the realization that Bitcoin is the safest asset in history and everything else has risk that Bitcoin doesn't have. And like regardless of when or how you come to that conclusion, whether it's like you then pile fully into Bitcoin or not, um, it's like I'm trying to view like the, the way I came to that realization was kind of. Like, I understood that an index fund was trying to capture the money printers in a way that was much more direct than it was previously available. They're like, screw it, we'll just put money into everything just because the money printers are going on, everything's going to go up, so we'll just index that and your, your index fund will go up. And it turns out that worked for a long time. And so, okay, what's the next thing after that? Well, they're not going to tell us what that is. Like, in, when I, in my orange filling process, when I was trying to figure out, like, what the hell, how can I escape this system? How can I put myself in a position where I don't have to be on life support by this corrupt, horrible system? Um, I came to the conclusion that Bitcoin, okay, just like an index fund was a way to capture the, the breadth of the market of like the NASDAQ or the S&P what, or whatever market it's indexing, like Bitcoin was a way to index humanity. Like I can capture all of the, all of the um, ingenuity and innovation of the species 
on a long scale. It's not all going to happen all at once, but this is a way that I can index the species. And it's like, so Larry Fink trying to figure out like, okay, so he's clearly come to the conclusion that Bitcoin is, is a safe asset. Now, whether or not like- I think so. Yeah. He's so, not, so, now, let's, let's be clear for a second. He will not be fasting on Satoshi Saturday. He's not, right, right, exactly. He's not <laughs> there yet. But he, okay, he's clearly on the path, some sort of path. Like is so the same I path mean, look, that Sailor I, walked. That's I've a much different it, path than somebody like and, me. Yeah. So look, and, and I've, look, I've seen this over and over again. Um, a CEO of a big company, once they, you know, what they do realize is that something is existential for their company. They will, they will toss their past out the window, and do what they have to do, right? To um, fulfill on this ex- on this existential mission, they will I mean, they will do what they have to do. And I just see Larry Fink as a guy doing what he has to it do. It shows how much he cares about his company because there's a lot of there's a lot of CEOs that faced with annihilation and like faced with the decision tree that Larry Fink is facing. There's a lot of CEOs that be like, you know what, I'm gonna retire. I'm gonna take my, I'm gonna take a cushy retirement. And like, he's not. He Larry. I Fink never see that. He has I decided see, that yeah. Larry. Well, I mean, like, like these guys are too. I mean, look, like it's like these guys. They get like being in that position does so much for them. If you think Bitcoin is scarce, like a CEO position in a major company is like it's got like owning an NBA team, or it's like it's the, these are the most scarce things on well, the like planet. Like senator seats, like con- congressional seats, those are those are fairly scarce as well. And I think yeah. what we're witnessing now is a transition from like this old system of lobbying money politics into whatever the hell comes next. And ultimately, what comes next is the disillusion of the state. But for a while, like looking at what Matt Gates is doing down in Florida and like the Freedom Caucus, there's clearly a little bit of life that's attempting to be breathed back into the state, like in terms of freedom and actual the direction of what constitutionally the system was supposed to be. So. Yeah. Yeah. The direction, like, but like, meanwhile, while there's a few people that are willing to do the heavy lifting of kicking the speaker out and like, okay, well, we're going to figure out a, a new direction that we've, we're going to uncharted waters, we're going to chart a course. Other people are quietly retiring, like senators from our from Pennsylvania. They're like, you know what, we're done. We're like, I just, I, I don't want to play in this new system. I just want to get out. Well, so yeah. So pe- I mean, Larry Fink is he knows what he's doing, but yeah, let's, he's clearly let's, not one of those people. But let's like again be clear about like, I. This is in the world. It's still a shitcoin, clearly. But it may be the only. It may. It's clearly a meaningful shitcoin for the reasons we've explained to you guys. Like this is going to transform the entire. This isn't about Bitcoin, right? This isn't going to do anything really. It's not going to do anything to my Bitcoin, right? Yeah. It's not going it, to. My Bitcoin will not. Will never know this happened, right? This is really about the eight billion normies. Um. This it's, is a massive the, life raft. Like, that people let's could put this on briefly. Well, I don't even. I mean, I would just look at it as like they don't. They don't get to say, because they're at the mercy of what Larry Fink thinks is important for BlackRock. So that's just the way that goes. Okay. So if you're just a traveler, you're you know, if you're just some traveler not paying attention, well, guess what? In ten years, you're gonna have Bitcoin ETFs in your pension and in your four hundred one k and all that, and you don't really have much to say about that. Right. You don't that's that's the way it is. You know, people like Larry Fink are ahead of you in imposing their will. And you yeah, know what? People like the sheep pe- will continue to be sh- look, like people cheered. like people like Business Cat and myself are also ahead of you 
in imposing our will because I don't even care what Larry Fink really is doing when it comes to what, you know, how I plan to retire. It has nothing to do yeah. with me, okay? That's the beautiful just, but, thing. All of this matters very little in my day-to-day life. I'm not going to change how I'm living. But if we do project this out, right, this is going to defund the Fiat Ponzi. <laughs> yeah, right? right. This is a and, massive cork to pull out of the side of the ship to let water in. This is just absolutely significant. And I'd so, like, it's not like I'm, like, I want people to know, like, I'm not, like, I, I don't sit around hope, praying this ETF gets approved. I don't care about that, really, right? I just, but I want, like, you are not, I'm pretty sure nobody listening is going to hear this anywhere else, on, but really about how significant this really is and why. And because, frankly, every week that goes by, I, I, I see this clearer. I see how it's the existence of the hedge in this system, okay? You guys have to understand, I've already talked to my boss about creating products that have Bitcoin exposure in it now, waiting for this ETF to get approved. Um, I mean, if I'm sitting at my fiat job, this is what there is for me to do. Do okay? you have any mental models for like what the timescale is? Like, let, my, my assumption is that before the end of the year, the, an ETF will be approved. A Q1 thing of next year is like the ETF comes online and it actually starts functioning. Then what Q2 is the having, Q3 is the presidential election. So they're probably going to print money before the presidential election. It's like next year's lining up multiple crazy, crazy bullish things next year. And then that's into 25, which is even more bullish. Uh, but like, yeah. And short here's the term, other thing, right? But, but like on top, uh, like along those lines, like it's again, I think people need to understand BlackRock's going to buy Bitcoin at any price because right, they're, they're buying Bitcoin now. They're, they are, but they're going to do it at any price. They're going to yep. do it at 5 million a coin because. There, th- this is about assi- managing a system, okay? The same way I have to hedge um, S&P risk of products that we sell that, you know, have S&P exposure, right? I don't care if the S&P is at 1500 or at 5000 right? I'm operating yeah. the same exact hedge program regardless, right? And BlackRock is going to operate the same way. They do not, they're going to buy Bitcoin to 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 provide the ETF, yeah. Today, no matter what the price is, the solid floor has been the 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 buyers of last resort have been the plebs, the 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 the, the, sat, the humble sat stacker, and like yeah, we're about to have BlackRock just hoovering up any available sats in the space, just as they're going to yeah, hoover. They are they're gonna going to become the new bottom. So I mean, I don't. I would guess. Look, if I had to guess, I would say, um, yeah, the ETF gets approved in the next twelve months. And you plan, certainly it's like, okay. plan, I think institutions are planning accordingly now. They're starting to think about products that they can sell that would include this exposure. I think like from my perspective as a hedger, right? Mm. And what, and I, so that's, I am a hedger. Okay. And that's what I do for institutions. Okay. And so what I would be looking at with this spot ETF is there will have to be a probably at least a three to six month process of vetting this iShares product as as a hedge. Right? Yeah. When I talk about it here, I'm just assuming it's perfect hedge. And lo- what does that mean for the world if it is? Because then, it, you know, if it turns out that there are these restrictions and liquidity problems and it turns out that, you know, it doesn't end up being that hedge, none of what I'm yeah. saying will play out. Right. right. So it's everything be the I'm right saying, product. everything I'm saying comes from the assumption right now 
right? That this is the perfect hedge. Because I think it's a worthwhile... This is like, go back to Bitcoin is Venice and Wittgenstein's money, and you have to like actually ask yourself, visualize what would it look like if this was the case, right? What would it look like? Right. Um, and that's what I'm here to do because, I, you know, this is like we're, you know, we're all coming from a different place, right? This thing is hitting me and my experience set like squarely in the bullseye here, right? So yeah. this is what I want to think through with you guys. Yeah, I'm sure. Like, I mean, as a as a risk manager, like that's what you. I mean, yeah, you do deal with risk as in your professional career. It's like that's a, the risk management training I've had was, I mean, from like my Air Force training, and that has been very useful in preparing me to be a Bitcoiner. Uh, but yeah, like it comes down to adversarial thinking, like in everything. Right. Like, okay, how could somebody else screw me out of the position I'm in now? I need to I need to climb into the most tactically uh, safe position I can get. And then constantly look for how anybody else could be climbing over my walls. But I mean, look, who is who else is going to talk about the fact that it's the existence of this hedge is really what's going to impact the availability of Bitcoin exposure that's going to require Bitcoin buying um, in the marketplace. So, just as an example, like I can now, um, we can offer Bitcoin. We can offer the Bitcoin ETF in our deferred comp, like in deferred comp, which means that people who or in a four hundred one k, right? But in deferred comp is something that the company actually guarantees, and so you know, you, you I can now have somebody elect the Bitcoin ETF in their deferred comp. We don't fund it, but what I would do then is I would buy I would buy the ETF as the company to um, protect the company's earnings against rises in the price of that ETF, you know, we can give 10,000 people Bitcoin exposure through deferred comp and, you know, just met, you know, we'll be, we'll just be, we will be buying Bitcoin ETFs without thinking about it. And How long do you think before we have yeah. another, so right now all of the custodial... By the way, that's a drop, that's a drop in the water from what we can actually do. That's just something we do with our own company. That's not something we do with the millions upon millions of customers we have that we we do these types of products for we've talked about blackrock using the coinbase's custodial service for their product that's that that's what you understand right yep so okay is it at some point do you think we're going to have another like acceptable custodial service at some point or is it just going to be yeah (laughs) yeah it seems like a real real heavy silo like siloed of threat like we need more than that. There's so many problems. I mean, if we, you know, like, I feel like, look, this is episode 23. Um, I can't name all that. We've done at least four episodes on this subject, and they've all been on. Let's just think through. Let's like think through really what actually is going to happen in the world if this happens. Now, yeah, the black I think that gets rugged. There are so many problems that are going to come out of this. I mean. We're talking like problems that are going to end up in the history books that um, I actually really believe BlackRock will be wrecked. I don't think they'll be able to resist trying to control the network. I don't think they'll be able to resist attempting um, a fork. I don't think they'll, you know, I think they believe, look, they're aping in, you know, Larry Fink thinks he doesn't fully understand why it's a flight to safety asset. I'll just put it that way. I think Mm. he understands enough, right? to do this, but I don't think he fully gets how little control he has. 
Um, I definitely expect a lot of FUD on people who hold actual Bitcoin. So if you guys are happy with Larry Fink getting on TV and saying, you know, what we like about Bitcoin, he's going to come on hundreds of times talking about how holding coins is the dumbest thing you could do. Right. Um, he's going to talk about white Sounds familiar to Sam Bankerman Freed. Like, so right? he, he used yeah. to say similar things. Well, he's the same. He is no different from Sam. Ba- well, I'm not going to say no different. He's instead of he's not an he's not an amphetamine addict who is just to our know, knowledge. To our knowledge, probably modafinil. If I had to guess, you know that's that's the, that he could, generation. He could be likes. on an NAD, maybe <laughs> an NAD drip. Most, most old folks are. <laughs> yeah, but um, you know what I mean. Like the you know they. It's not going to be a great ride for us. So we have to understand that. This is going to be a very, this is going to add volatility to Bitcoin, right? Mm. This is mm-hmm. basically, right? I mean, we're sending the challenger into space now. That's, I would look at it like that. <laughs> right. right. I mean, if, as you decrease um, the total number of Bitcoin in open circulation, I mean, right, those, those fewer and fewer Bitcoin are going to, like, vo- the volatility will increase with fewer and fewer yeah. coins moving. So, I mean, once BlackRock, a couple, Put a couple halvings or a couple Satoshi Saturdays under uh, BlackRock hoovering up all the sats in the room, and yeah, I mean, a few, yeah, some, some, I mean, just that's just BlackRock. Enter any uh, the laundry list. Enter Vanguard. Like, what's Vanguard gonna do with with the Bitcoin they're gonna try to hold? Like, I mean, yeah, and these guys are not part of the block size war, right? No. So they don't understand. They don't have the burn marks on their hands yet of. Trying, trying to fuck, to fuck with fuck, Bitcoin and then trying to fuck burned. with the hornet's nest. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. They have no, it will happen. This is going to happen. So I, this is a, so I, I can't. This is really bringing this thing home right now. Why? Why do we do this podcast? Right? Why do it? Right? Why do you guys listen to this? Like, the most important thing we can do in this world is every day is build our conviction in Bitcoin, build our strong hands so that we do not become one of those sad stories of people who sold their coins because we thought it was about, we thought the ride ended when BlackRock said they're going to fork the thing and, you know, make it whitelisted and fuck yeah. with the code and all that. I mean, you, it's like, you need to realize, threats, you need to right. include yourself in that threat model. Like, yeah, sometimes so you we, are it, the threat. We need to build enough conviction to know what we're going to do and how we know Bitcoin will win Right. And actually, we don't give a shit. I personally don't give a shit what those retirees get. What does BlackRock actually give them at the end of the day? Right. I don't care if they give them fiat money or video game tokens or whatever the fuck they end up deciding they have to do to pay these guys out. Right. That's not my problem. Right. Mm. My problem is making sure us, the dear listener, right, that we are actually... We have diamond hands, and that takes work, right? It's like, how do we even do that? That's why we read every day. That's why we do. We have these conversations and assess these threat models, and that's why we go to meetups and yeah. try to think through all the shit. Like, like it or not, like we are in the trenches. We are on the front lines of the World War Three financial monetary war that is uh, that is going on worldwide right now. And occasionally, yeah, it's it's good to. Put, put an observer balloon up and try to look down at the battlefield and figure out where you are and figure out what other forces might be entering. And, I mean, not, not all forces are, are, 
are your friends, but hey, like the concept of the enemy of my enemy is my friend is quite applicable. I mean, in a, in a monetary war, and like, yeah. Like, By the way, if the, sorry, good. Uh, it's like if the feds like it or not. Like they have been very privilegedly living in a unipolar world, and like. I, I hear legacy financial heads talking about like, oh, the world is moving to a multipolar world. It's like, bitch, the world has been multipolar now, so at least since 2010. So like, it's yep. just, yeah, you can get off that. You can get off of their train. The question is, do you have the risk tolerance? Like, you need to, re- it's not even risk tolerance. Like, I don't have the risk tolerance to remain on their ship. It's like, get the hell off of their ship. But no, it's but retraining need your risk- brain on what is risky. You need the risk preference to be able to hold the load time preference. You need to, we need to learn how to live on less fiat, right? And mm. to maintain a low pre- time preference with less fiat in our savings. I think that's the, that to me is the ultimate goal, right? Right. You have our Bitcoin stack that is big enough to lower our time preference, but not so big that it begins to raise it because we say we don't have enough liquid cash in our savings right and then you work on that piece to reduce that piece to say well maybe i don't need you know i don't need f- 10 different tv subscriptions right and you just start thinking about your life that way um back to larry fink when he you know he's telling the world get hey bitcoin is a um <laughs> a flight safety asset what he's not telling you is by the way i'm the one that's going to be buying that asset it's not what i'm going to be giving you motherfuckers yeah exactly right? <laughs> man that's boy, boy talk, like the lesson of like what is ri- what is risky and what is not another lesson is like what is value and what is an iou it's like there's there's a it it take it's a long path for people to defuck themselves from fiat and like the the bitcoin path the orange bill path it gets you there it's it i mean it's it's the most direct and effective path that i have discovered to do it uh, but yeah, like so, Larry yeah. Fink is on that path somewhere. Like, the, I, I, de- I bet he has a lot of shares he could be selling for Sats, but I don't think he's doing that yet. So, having said that, right? So, that may be a great segue if you got you got time. You want to do one more little debate? And Absolutely. I haven't, prepared, I haven't prepared you for this, but I've been test driving at my meetups a take. I think it's a pretty hot take. Okay. Uh, if I was looking for engagement on Twitter, I'd call it an unpopular opinion. But All right. I'm starting to. I, I think this is a question worth toying around with. Okay. And it is that I. So having said all that, right? So Larry Fink said, but uh, you know, Bitcoin is a safe haven asset. I'm going to be buying that. It ain't what I'm going to be selling you, motherfuckers, right? Have, having said that, I believe, maybe, let's talk this out. That the Bitcoin ETF I shares from that BlackRock will sell. I'm going to make a case that it, it maybe it's a better money than a gold bar. Huh. I mean, I guess it's situational. It's it not a better money than Bitcoin. We all yeah. know this. No, but it's actually, Bitcoin. You know, well, it's a I mean, better you're, money you're backing, than... Anytime you back something with real value, it's going to be better than something backed with no value. So, I mean, anything backed like a... a, a Backing a, a shit coin backed by gold is technically probably safer than fiat. It's like I wouldn't I wouldn't recommend it because like who See, knows I what kind of centralization what centralization risk you're exposing I, yourself to. That I disagree with because what we've seen there is that's Luna basically or some like you know even like a st- whatever stablecoin backed by Bitcoin. Like you're gonna fuck with the monetary policy. 
the monetary policy risk will come through and you'll print you know you will basically print the base token yeah sure right to oblivion That's, you have right. people so in tower who can make decisions this is something that i don't think is a very big risk with the blackrock etf right so i don't think that like i don't think that example ness I, I don't so that's a risk that i don't believe will be in this system i don't think you're going to see at least not in any short term i know a lot of people believe blackrock will try to fractionally reserve um you know and really try to paper over bitcoin and then maybe that's maybe that's the case but even what like what they can what people are going to be able to do still is audit you can audit the bitcoin network right and that is a differentiator from any of these other um i mean the fact of the matter is gold you can't audit the gold network and you can't prove that your bar of gold is gold and you know if we go back to broken money and lynn alden one of the great points she makes so i would call this a spoiler alert if this was a suspenseful movie but i'm just going to call this a great point that you should look out for is um and it's one of the main theses of this book and it's that the real problem of the world the real problem of why is money broken what is broken about money and it is that the it's that the technology between um the speed of transactions versus the speed of settlement is far too asymmetric and so when you have tech when you have transactions that so far outpace the ability to settle you have basically this system that does nothing but encourage money printing and debt as fast as possible right Mm. the technology like human beings cannot overcome this uh their corrupt um inkling to abuse that technology yeah i mean it's the one ring of power that's like like yeah blackrock i like history what is the greatest predictor of future behavior is past behavior so like has blackrock blackrock has made their fortune operating in a fractional reserve environment so it's like the 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 uh, attractiveness. But, they don't, yeah, but to, they're not fractionally reserving their Bitcoin. assets. I'm not. I'm, I'm, saying, I'm not. I'm not making that argument. I'm just saying, like yeah. they they have been very close to people. To they they they've been an environment to learn bad lessons. Um. Now enter Bitcoin. Like every time somebody fucks with Bitcoin, they get wrecked. It started with Mt. Gox. Like they they tried to fuck with Bitcoin, they got wrecked. That it up to Sam Bankman-Fried. He tried to fuck with Bitcoin, he got wrecked. It's like ultimately, I mean, it's going to be way down the road. But if an entity even as big as like a BlackRock or a state like a state entity like a, like a major like a major major western power like if they tried to fuck with bitcoin and like say they had more and like print more than the actual bitcoin they had in their balance ultimately bitcoin's going to call that that bluff i mean it doesn't matter how big it's, you are you're not bigger and more trustworthy right. than bitcoin and it's almost a self-destruct mechanism like we're going to send this spaceship yeah. into space bitcoin is is going to um, it's going to usher in a new era of Bitcoin, what's like and the fiat, one ring frankly. of power? But then, like they, they're going to hit the self-destruct button and explode. It's going to be ugly for a lot of people who aren't us, I think. But the so that's so I, this is what made me think about this because would it be uglier than if it's certainly not like it's going to be ugly for these people anyway? You understand? Like they're already yeah they're, they're already getting rugged. Okay. This is actually gives them a chance of getting slightly less rugged. There's okay, no that, way that's what out I'm, for them. 
Like eventually, yeah. they're, they're, there's no way out for them. They, they, like, Bitcoin will help put them on life support for a while, but ultimately, like Bitcoin's going to slaughter them. It's, it's the one. It all goes back to the One Ring of Power. There's a reason well, that the Hobbits took the could were the only ones capable of taking the Ring to Mordor because they weren't. They didn't want to use it for themselves. You give the ring to anyone else, like you hand you hand the Bitcoin ring to BlackRock. Eventually, they're going to print that money and destroy themselves. And this is a way that we can return equilibrium to the world. Yeah, but we're going to have to do another episode called Root Causes because what's going to happen is people like people will blame this Bitcoin gambit for the destruction of wealth that happens when this when in fact this does happen, right? And they will be wrong. Yeah, right. <laughs> His, history will remember it as the creation of wealth, of a new wealth. Understood, but you know, it's you know, this is what, but this just goes. So this is why I'm exploring this question of maybe it's st- it's still a better money than it's certainly a better money than what they have now, and it might even be better money than if you if they all just went out and bought gold. Yeah, a and, better money for a time. Like there, there's a time period that yeah, it's going to be better money, but ultimately, let's like. You know Bitcoin. what I mean? That's yeah. yeah. That's that's the only point I'm making, and it's just only um, it's you know, it's like a red hot take, I guess. But it's just I think it's a worthy, a worthy debate. You know. So like this is this raises the same question I had in in the Telegram chat a couple of days ago. It's like the federal government doesn't remain in power by allowing people to challenge their power. So this is I mean this is getting into really banana republic territory, but like. When is the are the feds like are the people at, at at the Fed going to allow an entity like BlackRock to divest from them? Like, are are they going to just are, are they going to lean on the the power makers, the deep state, and change the rules out from under the out from under BlackRock? It's like that. I well, could I could see that happening of like going full banana republic and being like, no, you have to so, in the name of patriotism, you have to have this amount of uh, government backed securities. Well, okay, look, this is the government has one chance. To do this, and yeah, they've so right. far, they've so far been doing it for the last seven years, right? They've had the one chance of avoiding this is just to not is to just reject the ETF. Okay, now now where it's the most competent thing for them to do, clearly, right? They're clearly not going to do that. Yeah, right? I mean, and and They're ultimately, to, right? It's like ultimately another financial district will will introduce a Bitcoin-backed ETF Look, product. Once the cat is out of the bag, see, and this is why it's important to understand that if really, the once the existence of a perfect hedge exists, it doesn't really, you know, doesn't really matter where, you know, what jurisdiction it's in relatively, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it's obviously best. Like, we, I'll say my company will not use a hedge if it's not registered and you, you know... <laughs> It's not registered in the U.S. and yeah, all right. that. You, right? you have rules that you have to but, follow. But the reality is, the existence of this thing is what matters. And once you understand that, it's once this thing is out in the wild, it's over. This is this is a sly roundabout way because okay. And the other, you know, the other the other move that I've talked about here is Bitcoin entering the S and P five hundred. Yeah, right. You've mentioned that. I believe that I believe this will strongly accelerate that, and I think the S and P will want to do it while it's under two percent of its market cap, like a Tesla. You know, where it's 
you know, they don't want to bring it in when it's already 20%. They're going to want to bring it in when it's, you know, right now I think it's a percent, maybe 1%. One how many people on their board, like how, what, what, how many people would have to be orange-pilled for them to do something like that? Again, it's, it's, it's like I don't think orange-pill – it's not about being orange pilled. It's about being black pilled on your on your own organization. Well, I, I guess I shouldn't say orange pilled, but longevity. how many people would have to realize the like make the mental shift of risk of realizing the the riskless model of Bitcoin? It's going to be this. Look, it's the same. It's going to be the same exact conversation that they had when they decided to put Tesla in. Yeah, they, I mean, like, they, do, they, do you know how they, many people it is? Like, the reason MicroStrategy was so far ahead was because. Michael Saylor controlled everything, and he could just. I I have had my moment, and we're going this direction, and then everybody had to follow him because no, I don't he know was, the mechanics. I don't know the mechanics of how the S and P decides to enter a name. Okay, okay. so it's like. But what's going to happen? I assume they have so, a board of something. But what that, is going to happen, right? Is that there are going to be thousands of funds that are including the BlackRock ETF, right? One percent, two percent that that just beat the living shit out of any like any fund that doesn't adopt this ETF right over time is going to get obliterated right it's going to have no performance track record to speak of it's going to be awful they're going to be in the bottom quartile anyone who they're going it's they're, they're going to get the shit destroyed out of them and the only really that's at, at and then the S&P as it as its own thing without bitcoin Right is going to underperform, like what, you know, it's going to perform, it's going to underperform all these things. Yeah. At some point, and it's basically the same thing that what happened to Tesla in 2020. Right. They couldn't, they couldn't not do it. They couldn't turn away. It, it, as Bitcoin grows, its network grows. Yeah. More and more people are embarrassed, and entities are embarrassed that they're not competing. Man, we're just not competitive with Bitcoin. It's like that's that's embarrassing they're for not some gonna, people. Yeah. Most of these, they may not even know why. The, the questions they're going to just find some report that says the S and P is like the bottom decile and like the whatever Lipper benchmark or whatever that however they track it right and they're not going to know why necessarily until they dig in, <laughs> hmm. right? This is going to go on for a little bit, but yeah. I, what I'm saying is eventually Bitcoin gets in the S and P index and then pff, forget it from there. It's like so it's I game think over. that's truly game over. I think I heard that you say, so you think in the next 12 months, we will have the approval and the ETF online and within the next 12 months? I would say that's something that I tell my bosses to say, at least we should be working, we should be doing some work and being prepared for that okay. to happen. It's worth, well, yeah. that's a worthwhile assumption. I probably, I, I can't tell you what I'm basing this on, but my mental model has been assuming the ETF is going to be approved before the end of this year and then online Q1, but I, I can't Could say be. what I'm basing that on. I mean, yeah. look, the, the, the FASB, so the perfect hedge doesn't exist until the FASB rules go into effect. And I think that's, that's the end of next year, end of next year. Yeah. Okay. So I'm, I'm guessing it's all going to be lined up that BlackRock won't sell a single yeah. ETF until it has that treatment. Man, 2025 is going to rip people's faces off. That's right. Like, oh my 2025 God. 2025 is going to be, is going to be insane. Yeah, I mean, let's let's say two hundred thousand dollars to be safe. Yeah, it's gonna hit at least two hundred thousand dollars. Like, by yeah, yeah. Yeah, we don't like making price predictions yeah, on like, the show. Even that but, price prediction. Yeah, one Bitcoin equals one Bitcoin. It's like uh, it's, I I'm like, even God, I'm almost ten years into Bitcoin at this point. Like I got I started stacking in twenty fourteen. So next year is gonna be my ten years in Bitcoin. Um, wow. But like, you. even still, 
I'm still pricing things in goddamn dollars. Like at what point, I, I think in Bitcoin, I can think very rapidly in like what the like the conversion rates and like what like Moscow time is and all of these things. And but like, God damn it, I still automatically price things in dollars. So I've never I've not even lived through a bull market yet. Oh, well. Well, I think I've said that <laughs> I'm worried that I actually will become insufferable to to the well, fiat world. Uh, there's a reason that like the, the stay humble part <laughs> of stack, stay humble and stack stats, the stay humble is also very important. It's like, it, Oh no. Yes. And I don't mean insufferable because I'm going to be running around pissing on everyone's grave. I just more of, I'm already insufferable in my, anyone who has conviction who speaks with conviction is kind of insufferable. Right. Especially if the majority people are of the shocked people, when they run into Bitcoiners, cause we speak. The, so yeah, if the majority of the people who deal with you are like, who the fuck are you? to have conviction like that, it's like pretty off-putting, right? Um, and so, you know, <laughs> like a little bit of validation it makes that, it just like yeah. makes it even, <laughs> it makes you even more alienating, right? I've, I've found it a fun place to operate out of. Like it, take, it takes a while to get comfortable here. But I mean, yeah, it's like, it's operating out of truth. I mean, I'm not going to blow smoke on yep. people's ass. So when we talk about value in the world, I, I talk about Bitcoin.
get to get what I'm after till the day I die. I won't get to get what I'm after till the day I die. 